Anybody get to watch the World Cup this morning? I'm jealous. I don't even know what happened. So don't, don't. So my boys and I got really into the World Cup. And it's embarrassing how emotionally tied to something you can get that's so inconsequential from your life, right? You could tell how I just responded to that, right? (laughs) And so um, I've never been to Argentina. I have never watched a full Argentina game, but I knew something had come over me when I'm screaming, go Argentina, at my TV. And then my son walks out in a France jersey. And he, he acted like he was the most diehard, lifelong France <laughs> fan his whole life. But he had just been given the jersey two days earlier <laughs> by his grandparents who went there on our, our school transformation mission trip. And I'm like, he's like, oh, I am so for France. I'm like, you don't know one player for France. I mean, and I'm totally judging him. I know one player from Argentina, right, in that game, which is Lionel Messi. And, and like, he's, he's the most famous, you know, player in the world. So, and I, I realized, wow, I'm getting so discouraged that Argentina is getting beat. And then they score. It was when they were down four to two. They score a third goal. And without even trying, I leap off the couch. And I start going, goal! I am running. My son, and my son and I, like, run around opposite ends of the couch, and then meet high five. And I'm like, wait a second, what, what just happened to me? And, you know, one of the reasons I love watching the World Cup is not just to watch the soccer, but I love watching the fans. So people are going crazy, y'all. It, it is. I mean, you got, you got grown men with their faces painted, and they don't have shirts on. And they have no business having their shirts off. <laughs> Like, it's like, go, and it's like, whoa, <laughs> it's so crazy, and you think about it, people are going berserk, and it's about someone using their foot to put leather in a net. You're like, what happened to the world? But I, I, think, the, I think the reason that we get so wrapped up into things is because we have this innate hunger to be a part of something. Right? We love teams, and we so long to have a team. And that's what Paul's addressing today as we come into Ephesians 4. The title of my message is Blessed to be a Part of God's Team. Blessed to be a part of God's team. And we're in verse 1 of Ephesians 4, looking at the Passion Translation. Again, it says, As a prisoner of the Lord, I plead with you to walk holy in a way that's suitable to your high rank, given to you in your divine calling. With tender humility and quiet patience, always demonstrate gentleness and generous love toward one another, especially to those who may try your patience. Be faithful to guard the sweet harmony of the Holy Spirit among you in the bonds of peace, being one body and one spirit, as you were all called in the same glorious hope of divine destiny. For the Lord God is one, and so are we. For we share in one faith, one baptism, one Father, and he's the perfect Father who leads us all, works through us all, and lives in us all. And so having watched a lot of the World Cup, I have to admit it was a little disappointing that it culminated in France and Croatia because the 
big three, Brazil, Portugal, and Argentina are all knocked out. And one of the reasons that people are so into those teams is also something in human nature, which isn't so great, is that the big three have these superstars, right? Argentina has Messi, Portugal has Ronaldo, Brazil has Neymar, and it's just in us to get behind a person, a celebrity, a a, a superstar, and, and just idolize them. And so the uniqueness of Croatia being in the World Cup today, the final, is this. I love what one sports writer wrote. They said, if you look at the goals, performances, and saves, there's no way to pick out any single name, so there are no heroes. We can only talk about the team. No less, no more, just the team. And I want to tell you that this is a a kingdom thought that it's not about heroes in the body of Christ. It's not about superstars. It's not about celebrities. It's about a team. And God's calling each one of us to be a part of that. But can I just tell you that having been a coach for years, the enemy does not like team. Like it's hard to get a group of humans to be unified and to walk in harmony. But can I also tell you that this thought of team is central to the Bible story. Like this whole book from Genesis to Revelation is God calling forth these people from these disparate walks of life and these very distinct nations and bringing them all together. And it culminates in the book of Revelation where every kindred nation, tribe, and tongue is represented in this thing I call a team, which is the church, which is given to Jesus. And it's the grand call of history. And so we've got to get this team thing down because you've called, you're called to be a part of a team. And it's more important than any World Cup soccer club. It's more important than any business, any school, any university. This team is the church of the living God. And so Paul, just like a great coach, gives us some plays to run. Because he understands that there's opposition and the devil's trying to destroy our team. And so starting in verse 2, if you want to look at it with me, he gives us some plays. And each one of these plays directly confronts some of the attacks that are coming on the church today. So first he says, respond in tender humility. And this combats superstar Christianity. You know, the, the world loves making Christianity a spectator sport and where leaders get, get puffed up and, and they're superstars and we just come in and, and, and we just kind of watch like a movie. And you know what that does is it makes our churches very weak when it's all about one or two people being superstars. And so leaders have to respond humbly and realize it's not about people glorifying me. It's all about me serving other people and lifting them up and developing them. We'll talk a lot more about that once we get to verse 11. Number two, he says, respond in quiet patience because we can tend to be so impatient. Can I just tell you from leading a church through the years, people could say such impatient things. They come out to talk to you and say, pastor, Why don't we have this in this service? Why don't we do this ministry? Why don't we have this instrument or this type of music? And it's kind of like, you know, I coached peewee soccer for a while. That's three and four-year-olds. Okay, and and you'd never be like, hey, why aren't the three and four-year-olds playing in the perfect diamond formation? 
Or why aren't they when the balls cross from a corner kick, which there are no corner kicks in peewee soccer, but when the balls cross, why don't they do bicycle kicks and knock it in? Right? No, you're, they're, they're, they're little kids. And so you're just happy that they're not picking flowers. Right? You're, you're happy when they run in the right direction. You're happy when they don't run off the field crying. And that's how we need to be with the church. We need to understand people start as spiritual babes and churches start young. And they have, we have to give time to people to grow into maturity. And next it says this, gentleness. Gentleness combats harsh criticism. We can be so, so critical. Jason was, our, our college pastor was just saying, isn't it crazy how people that aren't a part of the church and they're going to do nothing, they're not going to lift a finger to help it out, can be so critical of what the church is not. You know, we're all like that. How many times have you yelled at a professional quarterback who's 6'7", 250, no fat, and you're like, you dummy, why couldn't you hit that pass at 75 yards? You know? And then you go out and you're like, oh, I can't pass five yards, right? And, and then you get more gentle. And Paul's saying, listen, let's be gentle. Let's not be harsh critics of the church until we actually try to walk in someone's shoes. Generous love to combat selfishness. Uh, I, I love what Banning Leibster, the pastor up at Jesus Culture says. He's like, we gotta understand the church is a family, not a restaurant, right? Because try this out. If I go home from work, go sit down, right? Walk in from work, sit down at my dining room table, pull open a menu and say, hey, I want this, this, and this. And when it comes to me, I send it back to the kitchen and like, ah, it's not quite cooked how I want. I have a really kind wife, but that's not gonna work with her. Okay, so what do I do? I come home and I don't walk to the table. I walk and I wrap my wife up with a hug and a kiss. And then I wrap my kids up. And then I say, how can I serve? How can I help? And then I go about helping put the meal on the table with everyone else because we're a family. So I don't just, you don't just come in and say, what can I take? And how is this? And is that perfect? You're gonna send that back today. I didn't like that. No, you jump in and say, we're a family doing this together for the glory of God, for the help of other people, harmony to combat division. I mean, you, you've seen teams just melt down. They get a goal scored on them. And the greatest way to lose the game is if, if they turn on each other and start attacking each other, right? And the midfielder starts yelling at the defender, why'd you let that happen? The defender yells at the goalie. And all of a sudden they're focused on each other and they're dividing each other instead of focusing on the goal. And that's so often what we can do in the body of Christ. And the last one, it actually is found first in verse one, where Paul says, listen, you've got this divine calling, so walk holy. Because I can tell you the greatest thing that's eroding the church in America is impurity. It's hidden sin. It's keeping our secret lives and walking into purposeful sin. And can I just tell you, as long as there's humans, there's gonna be sins. We're, we're gonna have sin until we get to heaven and we're made perfect. But let me tell you what destroys us is when we keep that sin hidden and we live double lives. And so that's why we say get rocked, get real give it away. I love in this church that people actually are open with their problems. You'll come into life group and someone will say, yeah, I've been struggling with this addiction. And I love watching new people that have never been in a church like that. They're like, what did he just say? <laughs> oh, wow. We're going there tonight. Wow. I mean, this is, this is real. This is life group, right? This isn't fake group. This isn't, right? 
I love that about how our church is learning to be more and more real. Because the Bible says if you confess your sins, then he's faithful and just to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. But if you don't confess, then it owns you. Anything you can't talk about owns you. And let me just tell you, we've heard it all. Like, you're not going to surprise us. So just share, be vulnerable, be honest. And the Bible says, humble yourself, and then God will raise you up. If you are wanting to get free, let me just ask you, are you bringing your struggles and your issues and your bondages out in the open? Because when you do, you have nothing to hide anymore than the grace of God finds you and the people of God surround you. I found our people to be way more accepting and loving and healing than judgmental. So... Paul is talking to this team and saying, listen, Christians, stop fighting with each other. Listen, don't you know that we all have these things in common? We're one body with one spirit, one destiny, one God sharing one faith, one baptism, and we have one father. If you're a parent, you've experienced this before. You so long for your children to succeed, to be blessed, to prosper, and then you know that the world is a hard place to grow up, and you know the dangers and the problems and the perils, and yet all of a sudden you're trying to create this this healthy little family and your kids start attacking each other and one kid takes from the other and then the next kid punches the other okay please tell me this doesn't just happen in my family okay and then the next kid calls the other one a bad name and then you lose it and you're yelling and then all of a sudden you know what a good parent does a good parent pulls everyone together and says guys we're all on the same team like i'm all of your dad and I love you all. We have the same blood in us and we have the same goal. And so let's stop fighting with each other. Like we're not each other's enemy. Okay, can I just say the same with the church? If someone's sitting in your favorite chair today, they are not your enemy, right? You're just experiencing New Testament suffering. It's a great opportunity for you to access the grace of God and to love them. And someone looked at you a little harshly, you know, and you're like, oh my gosh, they totally don't like me. No, they're just upset that their team lost the World Cup. (laughs) Or they're like, you know, that air condition's not exactly how I want it. You know, they're not. So this is... This is the, the, the condition of the church, and we are one family, and we are to love each other and forgive each other, and it's work. Can I just tell you, community is work. Right? We have these ideas, right, that we're going to see someone across the parking lot, and it's going to, like, the birds are going to start chirping, and they become your soulmate, you know? And, right? Only you. Right? And no, like, community is hard work. You have to work at it. So verse 7. Yes, you do. <laughs> says one of our pastors on the front row. Verse 7. And he has generously given each one of us supernatural grace according to the size of the gift of Christ. This is why he says he ascends into the heavenly height, taking his many captured ones with them. And gifts were given to men. He ascended means that he returned to heaven. And after he first ascended from the heights of heaven, even descending as far as the lowest parts of the earth, the same one who descended is also the one who ascended above the heights of heaven in order to begin the restoration and fulfillment of all things. And all God's people said, huh? And and what this is basically saying is God's given gifts to each one of us. When Jesus ascended, he sent the Holy Spirit and he's endowed you with gifts. I could go 
row by row, chair by chair, every person in here has a gift given from Jesus and our church needs it. Right? So last night we're having this uh, life group barbecue. We're on community month, so our life groups are on break. So we're just doing like social gatherings as a church. It's so awesome to see so many of you on Monday night. But last night we're having this life group uh, barbecue pool party. And so someone sends out an email and says, please reply all of what you're doing. And you know, reply alls, it's like crazy. And so we're about 15, 20 emails in, and I'm thinking, okay, who's coming, and who's bringing what, and are we going to have enough? And then this piece of awesomeness comes to my inbox. Wendy Fung was like, hey, it's just me, but I just organize things, and boom, oh, I, names, adult eaters, kitty portions, meat, side drink, dessert, like heaven invading earth right there. And... I was afraid we were going to run out of food. We had twice as much food as we needed. Why? Because someone used their New Testament gift of administration to bless us all, right? And then another couple, they had opened, another couple had opened up their homes, and, and it was, it was this, this wonderful, encouraging night. I was meeting with another business owner this week, and, and he was kind of apologizing for, for not doing more in our church. But yet, as we're talking, he talks about the 10 people from his business that he's brought to our church. I'm like, what? And he says, you know, and I'm not leading the life group, but I host one in my house. And I'm like, bro, don't apologize. You are using your gifts to bless the body of Christ. Like you are in your sweet spot. We just all have different gifts. Your gift doesn't look like the person next to you, but we need your gift to build up the body of Christ. Here, here's what happens is people say, well, I, I, I don't know my gift. You know, I, what, what is my gift? Let me just tell you, the way you discover your gifts is showing up at practice. No, no World Cup player realized they were a great soccer athlete in the World Cup. Like they had had years of practice. And practice is not that glamorous, right? You show up and you're tired, and you're going, oh my goodness, and, and then you're doing a drill, and you're dribbling the ball, right, and it's so boring, but then all of a sudden, someone looks and goes, wow, you're good at dribbling that ball. We want to put you as a forward, and you will dribble balls, and, 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 then, and then all of a sudden, they do this, this, you know, shooting drill, and you're shooting, and all of a sudden, someone, you're a good shooter, and then you're, you're just standing there and someone's kicking the ball and almost hits your face and you go, ah, and you use your hands and they go, you can't use your hands in soccer unless you're a goalie. That's it. You're a goalie. You used your hands to block the ball. You're a goalie, right? And, and that's all of a sudden we start getting into our roles. You go to life group and you're just talking to someone and all of a sudden they look at you and go, I am so encouraged right now. And you're like, you're encouraged? I was just talking. And they're like, you have a gift of encouragement. And all of a sudden you're like, I'm so encouraged. I have a gift of encouragement. And then you start using your gift of encouragement. Or you're praying for someone and you're just thinking, oh my gosh, I don't know what to tell this person. And they stop you and go, what you prayed was right on. And you're like, are you serious? Yeah, you were totally hearing God. You're like, are you serious? Yeah, you have a gift of, of prophetic prayer. And that's how we discover our giftings. You have to show up for practice. 
And as you do that, you start hearing back from the community what your gifts are, and then you get really encouraged because all of a sudden you go, I have gifts. And then you start using your gifts and you start building up the body of Christ. But some people say, well, you know, I didn't show up to, to life group for two weeks and no one called me. No one noticed I was gone. Uh-oh. So our question is, okay, did you call people when you saw them not showing up? Or was it just about me? You know, or, you know, no one noticed. No, I guarantee you that people noticed, but the leaders are focusing on who's there because a coach has to play with the players that showed up to practice. Like, you have to know who your reliable players are. So don't do this like, oh, I'm going and hide and seeing the people call me. No, I, and then people say this. They say, well, I've been hurt by the church. Okay, first of all, let me just say, if you're hurt, I am truly sorry. I, I really am. I know what it feels like to be hurt by people. And it is a miserable feeling. So I really do empathize. But can I just tell you, you're hurt by the devil, Right? The, the devil works overtime to hurt you. Look at this. The, the devil in Greek. I, I was studying the Greek of, of the devil this week. I was having this discussion with, with a friend about this. And here's what the word devil means. Diabolos, to slander, accuse, and defame. So the enemy's always accusing you, telling you, you don't belong People don't like you. Like if you're having those thoughts, can I tell you that that is not from you? It's from God. It's from the devil. It's not from God either. But look at this. Look at the end. And condemn to sever a relationship. Part of the devil's name means to sever a relationship. Like the devil works overtime to sever your relationships. Okay. And so don't say I've been hurt by the church. You've been hurt by the devil and hurt by a couple of people. But I guarantee you that no one in this room had every single person in the church get together. 1,200 people got together and said, we're going after Johnny. <laughs> no, that, that hasn't happened. So no one has been hurt by the church, right? You haven't been hurt by the church. You've been hurt by the devil and some people. And I'm sorry if that's the case, but don't, because this is what the enemy wants to do. He wants you to make, make you think, well, the church hates me. And so I'm not going to be a part of the church, right? Right? And, and you isolate yourself and you go over like, I don't need the church anymore. And so I've said it a thousand times. You've watched Animal Planet. Who is the little gazelle that gets eaten by the bad lions? It's always the one that goes off by themselves. I hate the church. I'm not with the church anymore. And then, and it gets crushed. Because the little animal, once it goes off, it's not protected. You got to stay in the herd. And I want to tell you, herds are stinky. Herds are smelly. There's a lot of poop around the herd. But it's a safe stinkiness. Right? You got to stay. If the devil is speaking to you, you know, isolate yourself in the church. The church has hurt you. Say, no. Devil, you're trying to isolate me so you can destroy me. You run to the church and just hold your nose like Joel in the pig barn, right? You got to hold your nose. Verse 11. 
I want to unpack this important paradigm about leadership in the body of Christ. So we find ourselves in verse 11. It says, he has, meaning God, has appointed some with grace to be apostles, some with grace to be prophets, some with grace to be evangelists, some with grace to be pastors, and some with grace to be teachers. And their calling is to nurture and prepare all the holy believers to do their own works of ministry. And as they do this, they will enlarge and build up the body of Christ. This is simply talking about the fivefold ministry. And some people hyper-spiritualize that, but it's really quite simple. On a great team, on a professional team, you don't just have one coach. On a professional football team, you have a head coach, but you have a quarterback coach, and you have a lineman coach, and you have a receiver's coach, and you, you have a, a defensive end coach. You have all these coaches, and that's what the fivefold ministry is about, is they're like coaches that are helping us do the different functions of the church, run the different plays of the team. So let me just explain these to you really quickly. Apostles. It's borrowed from a Roman term, means sent one. They go to new places. They set up cultures. In the New Testament, they launch churches. They put them in order. Prophets, they have a special ability to hear from God clearly and communicate his message for other people and whole churches. Evangelists, they're gifted in leading people to make a decision to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Pastors are shepherds who constantly give care and nurture to the people of the church. Teachers have a gift to communicate both doctrines and principles for the people of God to build their life upon. Now, the American church for the past couple centuries hasn't had a trouble with pastors, with teachers, or evangelists. Billy Graham was an evangelist. But people can get a, a little leery of apostles and prophets. And here's why for you to understand. In the Old Testament, before the Holy Spirit was living in each believer, God would speak primarily to prophets. Prophets would prophesy what the Lord was saying, and much of it got written down as our Old Testament scriptures. Likewise, in the New Testament, Jesus called these 12 disciples. They became the 12 apostles. They walked with them in bodily form. They went on to write much of the New Testament. And so there's this concern that if people are apostles and prophets today, then their word could be on the same level of authority as scripture. And that is simply not true. That was a different time, a different place. We believe the Bible when it says nothing can be added to this word. The Bible's complete. And so what we believe is all five of these giftings are still in effect, but they're building on the foundation of the Bible with no new revelation. Their goal is to build up the body of Christ so it can become mature and it can impact this world. So we need all of these giftings still functioning. And we do it in a very humble way. We don't go around giving people these titles. Oh, this, you know, this person, this person, this person. No, because people are just people. We're ordinary people with an extraordinary God. But God has called some people to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. And so let, let me just help unpack this maybe in, in a little more everyday way and have a little fun with it. So how do these different five-fold giftings operate? Like if you were hanging out with them having lunch. So if you went to my favorite Vietnamese restaurant up the street to have some pho, which is just hot Vietnamese noodles, and you're sitting there with a pastor, but something happens, something goes wrong. They bring out the noodle soup and you grab it and all of a sudden, you spill it all over yourself. This is actually something that's happened to me before. You spill it all over yourself. How does a pastor respond? This is what a pastor does. He gets up. Oh my goodness, are you okay? 
they're immediately taking napkins and they're wiping it off you. They come and sit on the same side of the table, put their arm around you. And they say, how is your heart? They say, I know you spilt, spilt soup on yourself, but I still love you, right? How, how, how are you emotionally doing with this soup spill, right? Let's get them another bowl of soup, right? That's, what, that's how a pastor interacts in a challenge. Very different than a teacher, right? You're sitting there having pho with a teacher. You grab the bowl, you spill it on yourself. The teacher doesn't jump up and go, oh! A teacher instead goes, that reminds me of a story. Years ago, I was having pho and I spilt soup on myself. And what I learned is that a bowl must be exactly six inches from the edge of the table. And then if you hold the spoon like this and the chopsticks like this, you will never again spill soup like that, right? That, that's, that's how a teacher, they're instructing us. They're giving us principles now very different than an evangelist. The soup comes out, you grab it, you spill it on yourself. The evangelist stands up, excuse me, in this restaurant. This man just spilled soup and you will too if you don't learn how to eat soup right. Now that's, that's if the person, that's if you're a believer with the evangelist. If you're an unbeliever with the, with the evangelist, you spill soup on yourself. The evangelist looks at you and goes, did that burn you? <laughs> that won't burn near as bad as the fire of hell. That's why Jesus died for you. Quick, pray with me. <laughs> uh, apostles are different, right? You're getting your bowl of soup. You spill it on yourself. The apostle goes, you see, this whole system is wrong. Like the restaurant has been set up, not in New Testament order. And so we need much bigger bowls. We need different ingredients. And in fact, there's whole neighborhoods that don't have a soup restaurant that we need to get to and bring soup to unreached people groups, right? That, that's apostles. But maybe my favorite is, is you're sitting there with a prophet and they bring out the bowl of soup. It spills on you. And the prophet goes, no way. Just last night, I had this dream. You and I were eating soup and you spilled it all over yourself, just like you did. This is amazing. But the Lord would say that you're not just a soup spiller and you won't stay dirty your whole life, but you will be clean and you will rise up and eat soup well. That. The point of the gifts is to, to help you move forward. And that's why it says to nurture and prepare all the holy believers to do their own works of ministry. Let me say it this way. If you have only come to this church to be ministered to, you probably picked the wrong church. Like we want to care for you. We want to help you. But our main goal is to equip you to do the work of the ministry. We believe only then will you be fulfilled. Only then will you be living out your God-given destiny. Only then will you really walk hand in hand with God, fulfilling what he put you on earth for. The goal of the equippers is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. And so I'm encouraged when people come up after a service and say, hey, great message, pastor. That really spoke to me, but I'm way more encouraged when people say, hey, this week I took what you said 
and my coworker was having a hard time. And I, I stepped out there and I asked him how I could pray for them. And they're in our cubicle. I put my arm around them and prayed for them and they were touched. Or, or, or you know, I, I learned how to share the gospel myself. And this week I, I actually shared with someone on my football team and they gave their life to Jesus. Or, or, or this week I, I met with a, another young mom at the church, a mother saying, and she says, and, and I actually started discipling her. Or, or this week I was in children's ministry and I taught a kid to pray for the first time. That's when we get excited is when you start taking the grace of God and you start taking what you're equipped with and start employing it in your everyday life. That's what the church is called to do. Verse 14. So that, no, verse 13. These grace ministries will function until we all attain oneness in the faith, until we all experience the fullness of what it means to know the Son of God. And finally, we become one perfect man with the full dimensions of spiritual maturity. Can you say spiritual maturity? And fully developed in the abundance of Christ. You know, it's so sad because people sit in church for years and they never get mature. They never learn how to feed themselves. Our desire is not to just preach good messages, but for you to learn how to study the Bible yourself, how to connect with God through prayer yourself, how you can learn to share the gospel. Every person in here can do it. How you can learn to make disciples, how you can learn to share your gifts with other people and build them up and pray over them and encourage them. And you can use your gifts, but Verse 14, so that we are no longer children spiritually immature, tossed back and forth like ships of a stormy sea and carried about by every wind of shifting doctrine, by the cunning and trickery of unscrupulous men, by the deceitful scheming of people ready to do anything for personal profit. The problem is so many people stay in spiritual immaturity like children. And why is that? It's because children have to be trained. You know, we would never do this in a family, we would never have children and then put them in a bouncy just for the rest of their life to be entertained by a big flat screen TV and just hope, I hope you have a good time and I hope you never leave. But that's what a lot of churches do, right? Is, and, and so we have to train people and, and therefore the church is called to love people unconditionally and accept them. Like whoever comes in those gates, we love, we accept, like that's what we want to be. But then in a healthy family, there are actually expectations for growth. Whoa, pastor. Uh-uh. You just told me I have to grow. Like you just got to accept me. I do accept you like you are, but I expect you to grow because no one wants to be around a family where there's no healthy expectations. Maybe you've walked into a family like that. The house is a pigsty because there's no expectation for everyone to clean. And there's no mealtime because everyone is just fending for themselves. And there's no honor and there's no love and there's no contribution to society. So in order for a family to be healthy, there have to be expectations. So we marry unconditional love and acceptance with expectations for growth. And then the whole body gets built up. That's why we actually have our pathway of growth. Why? Because we actually believe it's best for you. Here it is. You've seen it before. We actually expect that people have to come to a place of making a decision. There's people that wonder if they're even Christians. It's because no one asks them, make a decision. We trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And then the next step, dunked. 
That's that first thing that Jesus said, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. It's our first step of obedience. But yet I meet thousands of Christians throughout my years that have never been baptized. And so that's why we challenge you. If you've given your life to Jesus, then get baptized because you're showing yourself and the world, I'm buried with him. My old person's dead. It's not because you got perfect. It's because you received his grace gift. And then they pull you out of the water saying, raised to walk in newness of life. And you never have to question again, did I come to a point of decision and declaration? And then what's next? Delivered. That's why we have our Freedom Day, because so many Christians don't appropriate the grace and strength that the Holy Spirit wants to give us to set us free. I'm not saying that you're not going to struggle the rest of your life, but I'm asking you, are you at least fighting back with the strength that Jesus gave you? September 8th, if you haven't been, please come to one of our Freedom Days. Most people say it's one of the most transformative days of their whole life. The next disciple, that's why we have life groups. Right, because we don't want you to just be a spectator or a fan. We want you to get down on the field and play the game. And, and, and we can't use all our gifts sitting in this room. This is a time of being equipped, but we get in life group and we can use all the different gifts of the spirit. You discover them and you grow strong and mature. And you can actually have older mentors that pour into your life and lastly deployed. That's when we're actually taking the gifts and the grace of God and, and putting them into practice in our sphere of society that he's called us to, in our families, our neighborhoods, our, our jobs, and some actually even cross oceans and go to a, a, another culture to birth churches there. That's what spiritual maturity looks like when we're making a decision, dunk, delivered, discipled, deployed. And guess what? When that happens, I find that people come alive. Why? Because you're becoming the very person God created you to be. But instead, we will remain strong and always sincere in our love as we express the truth. The reason we want you to grow is because you become strong. And I'm a lot more interested in strong people than just a popular church. Because listen to me, crowds come and go. Crowds gather for the silliest things. But strong people endure through generations. Strong families endure through generations. Strong communities endure through generation upon generation so that you will remain strong and always sincere in our love as we express the truth. All our direction and ministries flow from Christ and lead us deeper into him. As you join this team, as you use your gifts, it just takes us deeper and deeper in Jesus. You were created to always go deeper. And if you're bored in your faith, it might be because you're not on that journey of going deeper. Let me just say, welcome to the diving team. We're called to dive deeper and deeper and deeper, the anointed head of his body, the church. For his body has been formed in his image and is closely joined together and constantly connected as one. And every member has been given divine gifts to contribute to the growth of all. And as these gifts operate effectively through the whole body, we're all built up and made perfect in love. Bottom line is this. Jesus didn't just save you for personal relationship with him. Oh, he wants a personal friendship with you. 
but he saved us also to be a part of a family, to be a part of a team. And we need you to commit to that team. And we need you to bring your gifts to that team because we actually believe that's best for you. That you actually start understanding, I belong, I'm wanted. Can I just tell you that if you can hear my voice today, you're wanted here. You might have felt unwanted your whole life. You might have been the last one picked every day on the playground. But Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, has picked you. And we're glad that you're here. And we want you to not just show up, but we want to call out your giftings and we want you to use them because as you do that, the whole church is built up. And then it says when the whole church is built up, it's perfected in love. And when love is perfected, it starts spilling out over the region that it's planted in and the city and the neighborhoods and the peoples that are walking in darkness start experiencing his great light. Why don't we stand up? Worship team, come on up. Ushers, start coming down. We're going to finish the service this way. We want to do an ancient rite, partake of a sacrament that, that makes us one. And you don't have to do this if you're not comfortable. But when Jesus was about to go to the cross, he was sitting with his team his disciples, and he took a loaf of bread and he broke it. And it was all about them understanding what's happening to him. He was going to be broken. The Bible says he was crushed for our iniquities. He was bruised for our transgressions and by his wounds were healed. And Jesus was showing, thank you so much. Jesus was showing that his body was going to be broken so that we could be brought in. The punishment we deserved, he took on us on himself so that we could be brought into the team. And then he took the wine and he said, this is like my blood shed for you. And what we know is Jesus died on the cross to forgive your sins. And when he shed his blood, that blood cleanses us. He pays a price that we can never pay. And you can't save yourself. That's why Jesus died on the cross to be your savior. If you've never given your life to Jesus, I want to pray with you real quick. If everyone could just close their eyes. Because before we take of communion, we want to give everybody an opportunity to actually invite Jesus into their heart. So if you've never invited Jesus into your heart, but today you say, I want it. Just repeat this after me to say, Jesus, I need you. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for rising from the dead for me. Forgive my sins. Wash me clean. And I'll follow you forever. While we're all just praying here, if you're, if you're praying and giving your life to Jesus for the first time today, just look up at me real quick. And I'm not gonna point you out, but just wave at me real quick. Just let me know that's you. Great. Who else? Just wave at me. Anyone else? Great. Thanks. Awesome. Anyone else? Just wave at me. Let me see you. I'm just going to pray for you. Lord, I pray for these ones that are making you their Lord and Savior. Let them know that it's by grace they've been saved, not by any of their works. Let them walk with you for the rest of their life. Amen. And as we hold this... I